Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, Rockbrook. My name is Ryland, pastor here. It's so grateful uh, to be gathered with the church today, grateful to be preaching this word. Man, I love you guys. It's just so wonderful uh, to be together. So grateful to be part of this body, this group. Your faith, your commitment to Jesus, his word, being led by the spirit, hey, your generosity, your endurance, your character. It really is an inspiration. If you're new to Rockbrook, we're so grateful to have you. We believe God has a plan for your life. In fact, what we see is most people believe God has a plan for their life. Uh, but they don't know what to do about it. And most people would take God's plan for their life if they knew what to do. And so we believe one of the gifts we can give people is clarity. And um, we sum up, like if you could sum up this journey, obviously there's a lot to that, but if you could sum up this journey in a few words, uh, we want to help people come to know God. It's a very real faith in God. Jesus said it this way, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ. Uh, whom you have sent, and, and you can, we believe you can live a life of new hope and confidence and peace because you know God, uh, but you can also know God, be saved, be going to heaven, and still have a lot of stuff holding you back in your life and tying you up and keeping you down, and so we want to help you find freedom from those things. What things? The things that, man, if it weren't in your life, your life would be better and you'd be more free Uh, to follow God, more free to have peace and hope and a future. And we all carry around with us wounds and unforgiveness and uh, addictions that we can't let go of or won't let go of us. And we believe that you can absolutely find freedom from those things so that you can settle your yesterdays. Once you settle your yesterdays, it's like putting the right prescription in your glasses. You can see beyond yourself Uh, to see you can discover purpose, that God has distinct, amazing purposes for your life, for the church, for the world. And maybe you tried to experience purpose or find it in schooling or career or ambition, and you say, well, that was kind of fun, but didn't really scratch the itch. Uh, But we can help you see beyond yourself so that ultimately you can do something that you can never do on your own. Like, your life is not about paying the bills. Your life is not about solving problems. Uh, If you're part of our church, you've heard me say this before, most people are playing uh, what I call a cosmic version of whack-a-mole. And a problem pops up and they go, I gotta solve that problem. And another problem pops up, I gotta solve that problem. This problem popped up again, I gotta solve this thing again. And before you know it, decades have passed and all you've done with your life is solve problems. And people live and die for their problems all the time, but God offers us something bigger where we can get to higher ground. And those problems, yeah, we still have them, but they're just mere distractions because we have something uh, more confident, more purposeful to live for. So we'd love to take you on this journey. Of course, weekend services is a big part of that. Our growth track that we talk about is a big part of that. And uh, our ministry team, so we call the dream team. Like, ask anybody serving. Ask anyone who served almost 600 people at the Harvester's Food Drop yesterday, or ask anybody serving in Rockbrook for kids, or ministering to the next generation of teens, or or giving back in some way, that that is an ultimate part of Christianity that is so fulfilling 
Another big part of this, though, is small groups. And we're beginning to get ready. We get ready a little bit early so that we can hit the ground running when it happens. We're getting ready for our summer, June and July, small group semester. And uh, just talking to leaders right now, leaders, we'd love for you to be a part of this as best you can. We know summer can be difficult, uh, but just do the most that you can, do the best that you can. And uh, it's all, we'd love for you to be included, of course, in our summer, but also our serve day on July 17th. Uh, which is really fueled by the power of small groups. Now, if you hosted a group in this current semester that we're in, you're going to get an email tonight about registering for this semester. If you haven't hosted a group lately, that's fine. Just go to rockbrook.org connect or to con- connect on the Rockbrook app, and uh, you can sign up that way. Say, yeah, we're in. We're going to do a study uh, this summer. Or if you've never hosted a group before, come to step four of the growth track today. Maybe you haven't even taken the other steps, but you want, you say, man, I could grab a couple people, go through a study, go through something in God's Word, do an activity this summer. I want to be included in Serve Day. I want to grow in my faith this summer. I don't want to waste, waste this time, waste this year. Uh, we can help you do that, absolutely. Game on? Say yes. Okay, in this message this week, we're going to look at Jesus' suffering and our suffering. And we're going to read in just a moment from Matthew chapter 26. We're going to read a, a pretty big section of scripture today. I did not have room for it in your outline. You can follow along on the screen. Open it up to, in your Bible on the Rockbrook app. You can click on Bible. Go to Matthew 26 uh, to follow along. Now we know Jesus suffered at the cross. I, it, it was horrible. He was beaten. He was scourged. His beard ripped out. Crown of thorns. He was nailed to a cross to suffer and die, to suffocate. And many people think, well, I'll probably never be scourged for my faith. I can't really relate to that. But Jesus' suffering began long before he went to the cross. In his life, he was cruelly criticized, falsely accused, misunderstood, rejected, betrayed, abandoned by those he loved. I mean, just think over the timeline of his life. And see all the forms of suffering. I mean, even day one of his life, there's no room for him at his birth. And he's born and laid in a manger. And his father then had to take Jesus and Mary to Egypt so that Jesus would not be killed as an infant. And they had to wait for Herod to die before they could bring Jesus back. They bring him back to Nazareth. And Jesus is continually mocked for growing up there, mocked for living. Those are all forms of suffering. Then Jesus started his public ministry. He suffered temptation. We talked about that last week. Uh, He spent his days with no home. He said he had nowhere to lay his head. He'd stay at other people's houses or camped. He would speak the truth. People would not believe him. Has that ever happened to you? Where you're telling the truth to someone and they will not believe you. It's very difficult to deal with. He dealt with losing loved ones. He was related to John, John the baptizer, who uh, baptized him. And John was beheaded in prison for a senseless reason. It's, I mean, it's almost even too gruesome to talk about here. But of all the ways John could have died, to die the way that he did for the reason he did, and for his family to have to deal with that, Jesus was continually asked impossible questions, constantly testing, trying to trap him. He had to watch every word. 
And if you've ever experienced being blindsided with impossible questions where your words are then going to be held against you, you know it's a form of suffering. He would preach the truth. Many deserted him. In fact, in one instance, he had many followers who he knew and loved. And after one talk, they just left, disappeared. People he knew he loved, who he knew and loved. Jesus was hated and persecuted for doing the right thing. Uh, He suffered criticism, rejection, betrayal, loneliness, broken promises long before Jesus went to the cross. The Bible tells us he was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And his suffering really culminates in the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the night before he died, before he went to the cross. And it says that this deep emotional agony Uh, was so overwhelming he actually began to sweat blood his blood vessels broke and he bled through his skin and this is a, a greater pain it's an emotional pain a releasing of the will pain Jesus victory was won in his life before the cross victory was won for us for you and me at the cross it was won for him in Gethsemane where he accepted the cup of suffering. And when, when we finally accept it, it's amazing what happens. So it all culminates here in Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, so when he had finished a, a long session of teaching, he said to his disciples, as you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could, been, could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, this is one of the twelve disciples, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched. For an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, 
one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered, but after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him, a large crowd, armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seizing Jesus, and arrested him. 
With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat at the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. I don't know what you're carrying in your life, uh, but let me just ask you, have you ever been betrayed, misunderstood, falsely accused, rejected, abandoned by the people you love? Have you ever felt like God himself was abandoning you? Jesus understands. He knows and understands how you feel. He has felt the same pain and even much more so. The Bible tells us the only way he could endure the suffering, the only way that he could get through this, the only way he could accept that cup and move through it, the Bible tells us was to look past the pain to the joy to come. It was for the joy set before him that he endured suffering, that he endured the cross. The Bible tells us we are to do the exact same thing when we suffer. How is that possible? How is it possible for us to look past the pain and the suffering to the joy set before us? We should never be surprised when we suffer. It's a part of life. Now, is it because God is cruel? No, it's because we live on a broken planet and we will experience suffering. Suffering is inevitable. And God will use your suffering to make you more like Christ if you let him. One of the greatest promises of the Bible is found in Romans 5, 3 through 4. We also glory in our sufferings. Let's read the rest of this out loud together. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. The most important word in this verse is, is the word in. We don't rejoice for our suffering. We don't rejoice that we are suffering, but we can rejoice. We can glory in our sufferings. Why can a believer, a child of God, rejoice and glory in suffering? It's because we know something. Christians know something the rest of the world does not. We have a particular perspective others do not have. We know something. Like Jesus, the joy set before him helped him endure the cross, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know there is purpose behind our pain and we know it produces something in us. Suffering produces three things. That's what God's word tells us here. Number one, if you're taking notes, suffering produces perseverance. Now you might use the word patience, endurance, determination, diligence, or stability. I love the word perseverance. God uses suffering to help us handle the pressure in life. The opposite of perseverance, the opposite of perseverance is panic. You cave in or freak out. 
And you can either panic or persevere when you are under pressure. Which one do you think God is preparing you to do? Which one do you think God wants you to do? This word perseverance shows up several times in Scripture. Uh, I love this in 2 Thessalonians 1, 3-5. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to keep them encouraged. He says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing. And this word here is intense, that it's, it's growing exponentially, more and more and more. And the love, of all, the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Now, why is he saying this? Because the Apostle Paul went to this church, this group of people in Thessalonica. He spent about three weeks with them. He left. He wrote a letter. It's called 1 Thessalonians. After that letter, false teachers came in. Part of that letter, he encouraged them about the return of Christ. False teachers came in and said, the return of Christ already happened. You missed it. And they were greatly confused. They knew God was up to something in the world, but they wonder, well, then how do we fit in uh, to God's plan? And Paul is writing 2 Thessalonians to encourage them that say, no, because of your suffering, you're counted worthy of the kingdom of God. You haven't missed it. Friend, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to be confused of whether or not it happened. He says, your faith is growing more and more in persecution and in trial. Now, why does he use two different things? Because trials are the things we all experience on earth. We all experience trials. Persecution, though, are the things we experience because we are a believer. There's certain things believers experience, some much more so than others, because they believe in Jesus. It comes with the territory. And he says, we boast of your perseverance. It's a powerful word. focuses on someone who's not swerved from their purpose. They don't run out when everyone else does because there's perseverance in their heart. Act of faith that God is at work even when I cannot change the circumstance. Act of faith that God is working in my life even though he's not changing the circumstance. A friend and mentor of mine wrote about perseverance. His name's Rick Muchow. He's a pastor and worship leader whom I love. and uh, He went to be with the Lord last Sunday after a three-year battle with brain cancer. And during that time that he was battling brain cancer, he also lost one of his sons uh, during an open-heart surgery. His son had experienced, I think it's 17 open-heart surgeries in his life. And we've done many of Pastor Rick's songs at Rockbrook throughout the years, and uh, I, I just honor him this weekend. We're actually closing the service, finishing the service with one of his favorite songs to lead called You Have Saved Us. It's not one that he wrote, but it was one of his favorites to lead in worship and hear people sing. But during his time in fighting this battle, he wrote a series of things on perseverance. I wanted to share one of them with you. It is so important to me to rely on God's presence and his love during times of perseverance. The Bible says God hears our cries and rescues those who are struggling. I don't need to know how he's going to rescue. It's enough for me to know that he is 
going to rescue me. Perseverance is much more than tolerating pain and struggles. For the believer, it becomes an opportunity to express a peace that passes all understanding and an unwavering faith. Faith expressed, which is how he defined worship. Worship is faith expressed. Suffering produces perseverance. Number two, perseverance produces character. In the Bible, the word character is used for something that is tested and proven reliable. I remember seeing a commercial about this as a kid uh, where they took an American tourist hard shell suitcase and uh, put it in a, do you guys remember these series of commercials? I love these. Uh, they were a little bit before my time, but my mom used to record movies on VHS, and, um, and it was great because you watch a movie that may, maybe wasn't good for the family, but the te- they put a clean version on TV. And so, um, man, I learned that lesson the hard way because I remember when we got, Lauren and I got married, we're like, hey, we should watch this movie together. I remember it's really good. It's, this is not the movie I saw, okay? <laughs> this is not what I watched growing This is not the same thing. But there'd be commercials in the movies and uh, I, I love the commercial where they take the suitcase and they'd slide it into a cage, a gorilla cage at the zoo, and then they'd bring out the gorilla and the gorilla would just go nuts on the suitcase, banging it around, throwing it, jumping on it. And the point was buy this suitcase because it's been tested and it's reliable. That's what, I mean, <laughs> do you ever feel like that suitcase? <laughs> Like life is just pounding at you, throwing you around, and that your suffering is testing you and proving that you're reliable. The other way in the New Testament uh, that the word character is used is to describe a metal that is purified by fire, and it's been heated up, and when you heat up the silver, impurities rise to the top, and then they skim those off. Someone asked a silversmith, well, how do you know when the silver's finally pure? And he said, when I can see my reflection in it. That's a great picture of the Christian life. You know it's purified when you can see Christ's reflection in it. Perseverance produces character, the character of Christ. That's why we can rejoice in our suffering. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perseverance produces this thing in you. Last weekend, after the worship services, I talked with a lady in our church who was beginning cancer treatments this last week. And she said, I just had to come to church this weekend. I I had to come and worship and sing and lift my hands and get on my knees and not care what anyone else thought. Perseverance produced that in her. Perseverance brought her to that place of, of humbling herself and worship, the clarity to humble herself and worship to God. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And what does character develop? 
Character produces hope. Trials are, are meant to increase our hope, not decrease it. Now, what does hope mean? Is it just wishful thinking? No, hope means confidence. Confidence. God uses suffering to teach us how to be confident, how to handle pressure so we can confidently handle whatever life throws at us. Now, we know this. It's why when we're going through a trial or a struggle, who do we call? We call someone that's been through some things. And we hear their confidence. We hear their hope that they know how to get through it. They know, they know how to coach us to get through it. And they have confident hope. And when you are, have a Christ-like character, you'll be able to say like Paul, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. One problem, though, is perseverance and character and hope are not automatic. In fact, you probably know a lot of people that have been through suffering who did not come out with perseverance, character, or hope. Uh, they, they don't have maturity. They're spiritually immature. Uh, they're not better. They're bitter. They're resentful. They're mean-spirited. What's the secret? In a sailboat race, Everyone's using the same wind and the same water. But why is it there's a winner and a loser? Why is it that sailboats leave the harbor, some make it back, some get lost? They were all in the same water on the same day with the same wind. And in a race, they all go different speeds and different directions. What makes the difference? It's two things, the set of the rudder and the set of the sail. That's why you can have two people in the exact same negative situation and their mindset determines which way the circumstances are going to blow them. Some people let difficulties, problems, and pain throw them off course to get away from God. Others allow problems and pain and suffering to draw them closer to God. Their mindset makes the difference. It's the same wind. It's the same struggle. We all experience suffering in life. What it produces is determined by the set of our sail, the set of our rudder. It's the choices, it's the response, it's the mindset, it's the attitude. We're going to have suffering. We cannot help that. It's why when Jesus came to a place of accepting the cup of suffering, and some people fight it, they fight it their whole life, they won't accept it. Every point of suffering turns into a point of argument. Why me, God? Why would you do this? How could a good God let this happen? And you can face suffering with resentment or gratitude. You can face it with complaining or rejoicing, with worry or worship, with fear or faith. You can go at your difficulty with self-dependence or you can go at it with self-surrender and have the reflection of the life of Christ in you say, God, I accept it. Now your will be done in my life. God, don't, don't waste it in my life. Do whatever it takes for me to fulfill your purpose. Have you done that? It starts with a choice. Have you made that choice? Have you made the choice to accept the cup of suffering, to say, your will be done in my life, Lord? and to rejoice in your suffering. 
I want us to become people of hope, people of character, people of perseverance. Let's close with prayer. Would you bow your head with me, please? No matter what you're going through right now, I don't know the difficulty you're facing. Maybe no one else in this room does, but God does. And if you're going through a tough time right now, God is saying, I want you to trust me. Maybe you just pray something like this right now. Father, would you give me the ability to persevere under pressure? Father, I realize nothing comes into my life by accident. Even the difficult things in life, you can bring good out of them if I bring them to you. Father, I want to learn what it means to glory in suffering, uh, to rejoice in my suffering, not for it, not that I'm suffering, but I want to be a confident Christian. I ask you to produce these things in my life, build perseverance, Christ-like character, confident hope in my life. Help me to trust you, even when I don't feel like it, even when I don't see it. Help me to go to you, not to run from you when I face pain. And help me to help others when they suffer with the comfort that you have given me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.